honored to be here, and I appreciate the good music. I love the Corey family, and I'm so glad that they're serving the Lord here. And I, uh, for those of you that I have not met, I am excited about tomorrow getting to be here for the preacher's meeting and hearing some of these men preach. I know and appreciate Brother Young and look forward to hearing him in the morning. And It's going to be a good time. I was saved at 18, and I served the Lord. Our church grew from 30 to 40, and when you have crowds, why, you need staff. And so I became the church's assistant pastor. You know the mantra of the Baptists, if you can't give them a raise, give them a title. And so... That, that's how that worked, and so wow, I became the assistant pastor. But I served under Howard Nelson, a great um, privilege. He led me to Christ and discipled me, and our church had grown, and in 1988, I became the senior pastor. He stepped back from being the pastor, and he said, took me out to eat the week before I became the pastor, and he sat down across the table from me, and he said, Randy, look, I know that you love the Bible. I know you're anxious to get in the pulpit. I know that you really have some ideas and administrative things that you want to do and change, and hey, I'll be your biggest fan and your biggest supporter, your biggest cheerleader. But he said, before you become the pastor, I want to tell you the two most important words in ministry. Well, I'm I'm for that. I'm ready for some theologue stuff. And wow, he said, um, no matter how big the church is, you're going to find out the two most important words in any pastorate is let's pray. And he said, there's two reasons. Number one, he said, almost every situation that will present itself to you will defy a solution and you're going to be helpless to change it. When a girl says, I'm pregnant out of wedlock, There's nothing you will do. When a man says, I got fired for stealing at work. When a man says, I have terminal cancer. When a woman says, my husband filed papers. When a couple comes to see you and says, Our son committed suicide. He says, whether you know it or not, the large majority of things that present to you, there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. So he said, the first thing is, you need to be humble enough to admit, we sure need God on the scene. You're not smart enough, spiritual enough, clever enough. You're not going to fix this. 
God, would you please help us? And then the second thing is, he said, most of the time the people know you can't fix it. And they need to be reminded that at times like this, we turn our eyes upon the Lord and ask for his grace. Either protect us from these things or give us grace to go through these things. But Lord, if you would sweep in and be the hero and give grace and sustenance and ability, wisdom, insight, victory, then when everything's said and done, you're the one that gets the glory for it. He told me that the week before I became the pastor. Wow, can I tell you, 25 years of pastoring, how many times I'm standing there and the two-month-old baby is in the neonatal intensive care and they're trying to repair a hole in the heart and mom and dad are sitting there at four in the morning in a hospital waiting room biting their lower lip and hey hey here's what i can do let's pray let's pray after 25 years of pastoring and God blessed and all of that. And it was time for me to step back from pastoring in February of 1980 or 2013. I started in 88 and 25 years. They had a surprise retirement party for me and Dr. David Gibbs and others came and he spoke and they had a guest book there and they asked our church members, what message, what sermon, what ministry, what's an early memory, what's your most significant memory? You know, in that guest book, 400 people signed and said, let's pray. Let's pray. I'm like a white corpuscle. I run to where the infection is fully knowing I'm not going to fix this. But God, if you'd be on the scene, then anything good that gets done, you get the credit for it. can't tell you how much I appreciate pastors who have a spirit that says, hey, shepherds smell like sheep. We're here to minister to the flock. And... Uh, I'm just me. I look at me in the mirror and I'm keenly aware I'm not the master. I cannot make my neighbor's dog mind, let alone anybody else. Lord, please help us. Well, we're going to look at Titus tonight and we'll have a good time. I've enjoyed being here with this church and my real good friend, pastor, whatever his name is, and <laughs> oh man, I've traveled full time. I stayed home and milked cows and pastored a church, and now the last seven and a half years, I've traveled full time. I was in 54 churches since I was here last January or February. 
I'm forgetting my own name anymore. (laughs) I'm just, wow, I don't have my wife with me to remind me of stuff. And I got married for the details. And, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm I'm without that help. Uh, But I really do love and appreciate this church and this pastor. And Brother Dunbar and I have... Going back a long ways, there's a lot of memories we've promised not to tell people about. (laughs) But as I've traveled, and if you'll turn to the book of Titus, we're going to skate through a couple things, and maybe if you'd find chapter 1, page 241 in my Bible. I traveled up to the northeast, and the pastors say, oh, Brother King, uh, listen, this is, uh, this is where all the Ivy League schools are. This is in the post-Christian era. Uh, these people up here, uh, they're snobs. It's, this is where, oh, they, they're educated beyond their intelligence, and they think Christianity is stupid and for trailer trash and losers, and you can't you can't have a church up here. So I go down south, and wow, it's the buckle of the Bible Belt. And I talk to the pastors. They go, oh, "Listen, Brother King, they're gospel hardened down here. Everybody's heard the gospel. I'll tell you what, they're." Church of God, or there's some other ilk, and wow, they're they're trusting their dad was a deacon, or their grandpa was a preacher, or they sang in the choir, and most of them are dying, going slapped to hell, and you, there's no need to bother trying to come down here. So I go out west, and wow, I'm in the mountains in Montana and stuff, and hey, Brother King, listen, you can't build a church out here. These people, it's like herding cats. They, they don't want, the reason they live out here is because they don't want to be around everybody. This is where men are men and so are the women. And, 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 and you, you, you just, there is no way you can start a church up here. So I go to California. I'm with Brother Chapel and I'm in Visalia and Fresno. And here's, this, here's Brother King, this is a land of fruits and nuts, you know. All we're doing is praying for God to that San Andreas fault, the whole thing go right off into the ocean. That's that's what we're praying. I go to the Midwest. Oh, look, Brother King, they they don't let me tell you, this is Lutheran and Catholic country. There's the Norwegians and the French and the Catholic Germans and I'll tell you what, seventy percent of them are faithful and they live they go to these big Catholic churches and they want nothing to do with Baptist fundamentalism. And you know, I just keep looking at the book of Titus. And so I want to just waltz through here. We'll be done by 10 in Hawaii. And Titus, look what it says, verse 1, Paul, down to verse 4, to Titus, verse 5, For this cause 
left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now, give me your attention for a moment. The Lord Jesus, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Here am I, send me, comes to this earth. At 12, says, wish ye not, it must be about my father's business. At 30, goes by the Sea of Galilee, calls his 12 disciples, strides out after the Mount of Temptation in Matthew 4, and starts his public ministry. After he passes, they draw straws, falls on Matthias, got to replace Judas, but wow, we have the Acts of the Apostles, and then Paul is one born out of due time, right? Have not I seen the Lord Jesus Christ consenting to the death of Stephen, changed forever, saved on the road to Damascus, sent out of the church at Antioch, and he travels, you read through the epistles, with 34, 35 different people as he establishes churches in Asia Minor over into Europe, down into Corinth and Athens. And wow, now the apostolic age is drawing to a close. And Paul is in Rome, but he's on the ankle bracelet program. He's let out in his own house and all this stuff at the first time. And now he's awaiting death in the Mamertine prison. And here we are. He's writing pastoral epistles. And we're going from the direct selection of God Almighty to who's going to lead the church to, hey, Timothy, hey, Titus, uh, we're not going to have this no more. Uh, uh, Jesus isn't here, and the Holy Spirit's not going to come down and say, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the... Now I want you, Titus, Timothy, and he gives them the criteria for what a pastor ought to look like. Here's the kind of guys that you ought to get. For this cause left I thee in Crete. This is the island down in the middle, right south of Greece and Italy, in the middle of the Mediterranean, is the big island. And he says, I leave you there, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. When I read that, all I can think of is the many Sundays where I'd be driving home after preaching and my hands would be a little tighter on the steering wheel and my wife beside me and she'd reach over and pat my hand and she'd say, Randy, that's just job security. As long as there's people like that, they'll always need a pastor. <laughs> Whoa, how true that is. Hey, set in order the things that are wanting, ordain elders in every city. Most guys would do well to start one church, let alone start it, get it going and start another one. I don't know how many cities he's referring to here, but this sounds like a life's work to me. What a challenge. But I like it. I want to emphasize, and look, you're preachers. Uh, you get this. But most pastors I know, when they read these criteria, 
when they're honest and they get to the words like blameless or lover of hospitality or they go, wow, 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 wow. I have to just kind of dip my sails a little here. I'm not everything in a bowl of cherries. I'm not lowering the standard of what God expects. I'm just saying I'm not worthy to really be pointed to too much when you start reading this caliber. If any be blameless, verse 6, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Now, hear me. In Timothy and Titus, duplicate, it's like, hey, if the man of God is going to stand up on his hind legs and preach the word of God, this is the caliber of man that you're going to put in front of him. This is the kind of guy you're trying to build. Now, that will just let it lay for a moment. They've got to be sound in their doctrine. They've got to be a good example in all the things they do. But here's what I want to emphasize most of all to start with. Look at the next verse. Twelve. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Hey, when I travel and the preachers are around and they say, Hey, look, you know, it's tough sledding here. This, this region, I mean, hey, you can't. And I'm going, my, 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 the same comes back to me every time. Hey, maybe the Cretans. Hey, maybe you're there. Maybe you're on the Isle of Crete. Maybe you're dealing with Cretans. Liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. I don't know what a slow belly is. I have an idea, lazy. But it's not just that. It's not just that. Read what it says. Not giving heed, verse 14, to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. There was religion. It was just false religion. Well, don't tell, don't tell Titus. It probably can't be done here. Look, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and in every good work reprobate, incapable of discerning right from wrong. Hear me. You think adultery's wrong, they think it's fine. You think robbery's wrong, they think it's fine. They're defiled. They're impure. They have false doctrine. They have a false hope. They're liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. From that, 
this witness is true from that. That's your raw material. That's what you're starting with. That's what we find them at. From there, it's your job to get them to hear. Hey, hey, when you're done with that, go to the next town and do the same thing. Now hear me. What a challenge. Do you notice Notice how succinctly this is put? Hey, Titus, look, this is a bad job. It's a tough assignment. Wow, they're way, way off in the ditch. You're trying to get them clear up here. Maybe we could lower the bar. I mean, after all, you can't expect to get them out of the gutter up this high, maybe just this high. Or, hey, let's be culturally relevant. Let's be understanding. Let's make sure they all know we're all sinners. We all fall short. Don't feel bad. Hear me. Look what it says to Titus at the end of verse number 13. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. You say, well, you know, you don't want to hurt them. Hey, look, look. They first need to be saved, and they need to avail themselves of the grace of God. But let's not dip the flag about where we're trying to get them. We're trying to get them to be perfect in Christ. Present them as chaste virgins to Christ. We're trying to get them to believe, be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, he gives them the formula. Here's a prescription. This is how you get them from where they are to where they ought to be. But speak thou the things what? Which become sound doctrine. And notice, we don't want to mess in their personal life, do we? We don't want to be meddling in what they actually do day to day, do we? Hey, I can preach 500 sermons that have zero application to anything they're really doing. That's not what he said. He says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, You know, temperate, denying yourself, that's what you're going to teach the guy who's a liar, evil beast, and slow belly. That's what you're going to teach a guy who's impure. That's what you're going to preach to a guy who's reprobate. Hey, hey, there is no attempt to meet them there. It's getting them from there and showing them how wrong it is for them to be there. It doesn't stop with the old men, that they may be sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, verse 3, likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. It makes reference to their voices, not false accusers. You don't suppose there's ever any problem with that, right? Telegraph, telephone, tell a woman. Hey, it's meddling. Hey, it's hoeing the corn close 
to the stock. It's that they, what, becometh, be, that which becometh holiness, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. I'm only saying, you guys know this as well as I do, but I just, I remark about, hey, Titus, here's where I left you in Crete. That's what you're doing there. Don't tell me how bad they are. I get that. Don't tell me how reprobate, how apostate, how compromising. No, hey, I get that. That's why they need a pastor. That's what you're there for. That's what God's called you to do. And don't try to accomplish it in the flesh. You're going to need to preach the word of God, speak the things that become sound doctrine. You can, don't get mad at me. Thus saith the Lord. This is what the book says. I didn't write it. Then, of course, 7 and 8 come along. Verses 7 and 8, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, the heathens of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Listen, look, I'm a professional at this. I've been accused of so many things you could fill a book. Um, but the Bible says if you're going to preach this to others, you've got to be living it yes, in front of them. Amen. Right? Thou that sayest thou should not commit adultery, Romans 2, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that sayest thou shalt not steal, dost thou steal? Right? Yes, a guy comes to me, Pastor King, I'm quitting the church. I've noticed that you are only currying the favor of the rich people here. And I said, well, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Oh, I know, brother. I've been keeping track. And he brings out a ledger. He's kept track of who I've called on to open in prayer each service and close in prayer Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for a year. Now, he shoves this under my nose. Do you see this? Just look at this. He's got money, he's got money, he's got money. Not one time, not one time did you call on me to pray. I got to look at it, I thought, man, I wish I'd have been smart enough to just call on rich people. <laughs> if that works, I mean, I don't know, but... Hey! You're going to be accused. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be misquoted and misrepresented. That comes with the territory. I got to looking at the list. And I told him, I said, look, 
Dick, you've got this all wrong, way wrong. I'm prejudiced, but it's not toward the rich people. You come up on the platform, and I had him come up beside the pulpit. And I said, now, when I call on people to lead in prayer, it's always after we sang the first song or after we sang the invitation and everybody's standing. And what you'll notice is every one of those people is a tall person. Because their head sticks up above the others. No, I said, you're five foot six, and you sit on the back row behind the two tallest orangutans in the church. And I could call on anybody. You're unemployed. You're, you're the lowest paid person in here. Everybody looks rich to you. Look, that comes with the territory. But the Bible says, let them be ashamed who falsely accuse your conversation in Christ, right? If a preacher's going to stand up and preach, he better be living it. There's a genuineness. Well, it, listen, uh, we don't have to traipse through all of this, but uh, let's see, then he goes to servants. So here, here's what you do. You get these people, liars, evil bees, slow bellies, you got those that are reprobate, false hope. They profess they know God, but in works they deny Him. You got uh, impure people, and you're going to preach. But here's how you behave at home. But they have a whole other segment of their life, and that's the workplace. And so, is it important if you're going to bring Christians to maturity that you address that part of their life, right? So look, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, to please them in well-doing, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Hey, I, we had a guy come to me, Brother King. I work for GE Electric, and they made $13 million last year. And our contract is up, and they came and they said, anything that we make next year over $13 million, they're going to give to us to share among the labor force. But I voted against that. They're not fooling me. They're just trying to get me to produce more. Shocking! The reason you have a job is because they're making money on you, and when they quit making money on you, you don't have a job. Your job security is in your ability to perform. Why would they possibly hire you to lose money? Well, they need a tax break. Oh, you are so stupid. You never owned a company. Nobody, nobody goes into business to lose money. You're just crippled too high for crutches. Where you're broke, you can't fix. Here it says, not purloining, showing all good fidelity. When they succeed, you succeed. Hey, it matters that our Christians are taught to be faithful and dependable. They don't go sauntering into work 
an hour late and saying, take this job and shove it. Hey! It's not like that. Christians, it's more than just how you behave at church. It's more than just how you behave at home. It matters how you are in the workplace. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 11. Watch how he finishes chapter 2 here. That they should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious... People live differently when they're living in light of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself. Look what it says. Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Listen, when I read this and I think of the great, great burden that's placed on a pastor. Hey, Titus, you go to Crete. Here's what you're going to find for raw material, and you've got to get them from there to where they ought to be so they can be leaders so you can go to the next town. Hey, 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 there's no mention of, oh, as long as they're kind of halfway there, just let them have it. No, there's no lowering the standard. There's no lowering the bar. There's no, okay, now watch. It's not just their relationship at home, not just their relationship at work. Does it matter what they're like in the community? Right? I'm from a small town. People say to me, Brother King, do you believe in lifestyle evangelism or do you believe in confrontational soul winning? And I'm going, I didn't even know they were fighting. When, when you're in a small town, you better be living it if you expect to talk to anybody. They know whose checkbook is good and whose husband isn't. The, there's not much to see, but what you hear makes up for it. So what does he go on to say? Hey, Titus, put them in mind to be subject to principalities, to powers, to obey magistrates, to be every, ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Right? You ought to be a good neighbor. You ought to be a kind friend. You ought to be able to say to a lost uh, neighbor down the road, I'm sorry your wife died. Right? I'm saying you don't have to be a social retard. You can, you can, being a good Christian means you're a good Christian. Look, yes. look, look what it says, goes on. He says, we ourselves, this is the reminder, preachers, we ourselves... Also, were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness, oh, glory to God, and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know what he's saying? Hey, Titus, don't get too much on your high horse. You'd be there too were it not for the grace of God Almighty, yes. right? You, you have to have a dose of, hey, look, uh, it's not me right, you wrong, me strong, you weak, me brave, you... No, no, no. It's, hey, 
We all need the grace of God, but God can take that and make something out of it. He did it for me. He did it for me. Then, of course, it goes on and maintain good works. Maintain three times in the last chapter here. Um, Verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now we come to the close of the letter. And I want to just make a couple remarks here before we read it. Strong churches attract strong people. When you try to call people to holiness and separation, when you care about which Bible, when you care about the music, when you care about all these things that are mentioned here, you will attract other people that have strong convictions. But there are those people who labor under this constant desire to be more spiritual than the pastor. They have one more conviction of personal holiness. I call it spiritual sword measuring. See my sword? It's an inch longer than your sword. You believe the Bible? My maps were inspired. You believe the concordance is from God? The cow that died for the leather on the covers was saved. (laughs) You saw the Grand Canyon? I jumped the Grand Canyon. You went soul winning four hours yesterday? I went 28 hours yesterday. I don't... Your wife doesn't wear pants. My wife doesn't wear underpants. They they will find a way to out-spiritualize you. They will find a way. Because, and the guy that led me to Christ, he said, Randy, listen. There will always be those guys that have to prove they read the Bible more than you. They have more Christian liberty than you. They have better music than you. He said, they have to have it, and you don't. Just tell them, hey, you probably are more spiritual than me. Otherwise, they're going to chisel you off the edge of sanity. You are ready. He, He told me, he says, look, here's all of professing Christianity. And if you just say, I believe in conservative music and the King James Bible and women should submit to their husbands and I believe in actually spanking children, you're already a freak show to most of the world. You're over here at the 98% margin. Don't let somebody force you over here where you couldn't prove it from the Bible if you had a gun to your head. Right? Right? Look what it says. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing they do gender strifes genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable in vain. Verse 10, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such as subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. Now hear me, and I'm done. As your training people, somebody will get the idea that they're more spiritual than you. Somebody's going to get the Moses Aaron, Miriam, complex. God can speak through me just as much as he does through you. Who are you to tell me? And they get on their high horse. And wow, 
there can be no end of grief. And the Bible says, after the first and second admonition, reject. You can't pastor them because they don't want to be pastored. They want to be the pastor. They want to get your share of the soapbox. They want to do what... They don't want all the responsibilities. They don't want to pray with people who are dying in the hospital. They just want to stand up in front to be thought of as the most wonderful teacher, the deepest theologian, the one... Listen, that's going to happen. That comes your way. There comes a time when you have to tell them, like my pastor said, why don't you go make some other pastor miserable? (laughs) You hate to do that. You're trying to get them from where you find them to where they got to be. But once in a while, I had a man, I was, I'm done, but I'm, I'm, I'm in traveling. I... I pastored. I kept my head down. I minded my own business. I was just there with our regular sheep there. And now I travel. I didn't realize this stuff existed out here, that there are screwballs in the ministry. I'm in a church. Never talk to a pastor after 10 o'clock at night because that's when they bring out their favorite heresies. They thought of things that even God never heard of. (laughs) Brother King, are you a Bible believer? Yes, 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 I am. King James? Yes, all all the way. Well, brother, I got a question for you then. How tall was Eve? (laughs) Well... Look, you have you don't know me well, but I don't really care what he thinks about this. I'm going to be gone tomorrow. So I try to deflect it. I mean, I'm not a guru on what everybody ought to do. I just, please, get me out of here. And I said, well, brother, I, I don't know, because I never actually met her in person, and so I, I, can't say, I, can't, I can't say for sure. Well, brother, do you believe the Bible or not? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I do. Well, then, brother, you'd know. You'd know if you read your Bible. You'd know. She's 37 feet tall. I can see I'm in the presence of greatness. (laughs) Says there's giants in the earth in those days, you know. I got that down. What did she say? What did she say when she brought her firstborn into the world? What did she say? She said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. How big do you have to be to give birth to a full-grown man? <laughs> I had to run in the bathroom to see if someone had written stupid on my forehead. <laughs> I 
I said, well, brother, you, you got me there. I said, you know, man can be used to represent, you know, all mankind. Uh, it, can, it can be man-child. It doesn't always have to mean. Brother, it says man. You said you're a Bible believer. Believe it. <laughs> Average child's 19 inches, but if you're going to give birth to her, then you, she'd have to be right at 37 feet. You just extrapolate that out. No, I couldn't possibly be as dumb as I look. Well, you know the feeling. <laughs> so just pursuing it a little bit, I said, you know, she was the female of the species. Uh, given that she's 37 feet, about how tall do you think Adam was? Oh, he said, well, he, he would have been 40, right at 40 foot. And I said, well, okay, I, we're, we're agreed on that. Then, <laughs> then what makes you think she gave birth to one of these shrinky-dink six-footers? <laughs> Men are 40-foot. If she gave birth to a man, you know what he says to me? I'm going to have to recalculate that. What I'm saying is, while you love people and you pray with people and you teach people, don't be surprised if strong churches attract strong people. They've already left or been kicked out of nine churches in a row who couldn't stand them any longer. And they're hoping to come and be some kind of an authority by you. And when you get to that circumstance, remember, you have a whole flock to look after. And you have to protect it from those kind of screwballs. You want everybody to come and become what they ought to be. But once in a while, and I think it should be rare but certain, there are some people you just cannot allow to soil those sheep that you poured your whole life into. And the Bible says in heretic after the first and second admonition reject knowing that he's subverted you're not being unkind he's got the problem he's got the problem well I'm done and you're here and my challenge to you is just to look back with me at verse 5 of chapter 1 and I'd like you to put your city in where the word Crete is. For this cause left I thee in Auburn or Horseheads or Schenectady or Palmyra or for this cause, here's what you're doing. Here's what I got you there for. To set in order the things that are wanting, hey, there's, there's a mess. Don't tell me about it. Don't tell me about it. Don't tell me. Every place I go, they want to tell me, oh, it's hard plowing here, Brother King. Maybe they're Christians. What'd you expect? That's why they have a pastor. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. You're going to pass off the scene sooner rather than later, perhaps. We got a wagon full of assignment here, folks. 
It's more than a mouthful. It's more than a lifetime. It's more than a challenge. This is what we're doing. Show thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech. My plea to you is just this. I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed and I've tried to be fairly straightforward and simple tonight, but particularly you pastors, listen, listen, that's why they need a pastor. That's what God has you for. Yes, they are liars. Yes, they say things and won't follow through. Yes, they're unfaithful in their marriage. Yes. They're a poor testimony in the community. Yes, they have weird doctrines. That's why they need you. That's what you're there for. That's what God's called you to do. That's the high and holy calling that God's given to you. I know. I know. I said, Lord, surely it must be the last days that you're down to using the likes of us. To the extent that you could, to the extent that you would, Lord, would you help me be a pastor worthy of my calling and true to your name? Could you pray a prayer like that tonight between you and God and say, Lord, I'm here. I believe you've called me. I'm facing challenges, but so does everybody else. Lord, help me avail myself of your grace, your wisdom, your power, and make me the man of God that you'd want me to be. For those you've entrusted into my care, my community, my circle of influence, the area that I'm to be a lighthouse, you're here tonight, and before the pianist plays, let's all stand and I'm going to lead in a word of prayer, but maybe you'd like to join me at the altar. Pastor, pastor's wife, maybe a church member, and just say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to take my assignment, my calling, my duty seriously. I know as sure as I'm breathing, I can't do this without your help. Help me to be the man of God you'd want me to be. Heavenly Father, we're bowed before you tonight. And Paul told him to rebuke with all authority, let no man despise him. And it seems like such a daunting task, and it seems like people are so implacable, and it seems like they're so unyielding, and it seems like they're so carnal, and it seems like they're so backward, and it seems like they're so devious, and it seems like they're off in so many doctrines, and they believe things that are just unfathomable. That's why they need a pastor. That's why you left us here. God, help us. Help us to be the man of God, the lady of God, the example in our community you'd want us to be. We need your help for it. We ask for it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.